Good morning. Welcome to College Dale Community Church. We are so glad you're here worshiping with us today. I would like to invite you to stand and say hello to someone you don't know around you. All right, I'd like to invite you back to your seats. Love that everybody's loving getting back together and saying hello again. It's nice to uh, be out and about. Our offering uh, today, uh, again, will be at the end of our service. Um, we have baskets at each exit, and we invite you to uh, put in your tithe and offering uh, at the end of the service. Also, I'd like to encourage you to pray about our building project. Um, if you have been giving, thank you. If you haven't been giving, I encourage you to pray about that and uh, ask the Lord if that's something you want to get involved in. We, up to almost last week, paid for everything in-house um, with the money that we had saved. But now we've had to actually tap into our loan, and we're having some big bills come up right now. So I'd love to be able to borrow as little as we have to. So um, if you are inclined, please uh, and we just want to encourage you to pray about it and do what the Lord asks you to do when it comes to the uh, building project. There are a lot of announcements in the bulletin, so I invite you to make sure you read that. We're not going to go over those here today. But we'd like to start our worship service with a word of prayer, so I invite all those who are able and willing to kneel. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this beautiful Sabbath. Thank you for the concept of Sabbath. Thank you that you've given us a day that we can rest in you, that we can get away from the hustle and bustle of this world, and that we can spend time with friends and family and rest in you. And Lord, we're just so grateful for this gift. And Lord, as we open up this worship service, we invite your Holy Spirit and your holy angels to uh, uh, saturate this building. May we feel your presence. May, we, uh, may you touch our lives like you've never touched before. And Lord, I want to pray that you would be with Pastor Jerry in a special way, that the words he speak would come directly from you and into our hearts, and that they would change us for eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I'm happy to invite uh, Jeremy and Courtney Wampler and Big James to come up. Uh, some of you have had a chance to meet this family, and you may have seen James running around the halls of our church and attending some Sabbath school classes. But if you haven't had a chance to meet James yet, we wanted to give you guys an opportunity. Here he is. This is James. Can you guys say hi? James is being dedicated today, which is such a beautiful thing. This is something we love doing in our church, and it's a joy, Jeremy and Courtney, to be here with you guys. Um, I know the joy that, that James has brought to your guys' life 
And um, he's, a, he's a fun guy. We were just playing with him this last, this last Saturday afternoon. And he has just a fun, fun view of life on him already, which is neat to see. So we're here to, um, to dedicate you, James, to, to Jesus. And Jeremy and Courtney, what this means, as you guys know, is it's basically you signing up and saying, Jesus, we want you on our team, <laughs> or we wanna be on your team. Please help with this. As you guys know, uh, parenting comes with some fears. It can come with discouragement. It can come with a lot of joy as well. And this is why we love this service that we do of dedication, because it's reminding us that you're not out of it alone. One of my favorite texts is Isaiah 41.10. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, because I'm your God. And there's those moments when you, if you guys are anything like how we feel when we're parenting, there's moments when you might feel like you're not enough. And in those moments, it's really amazing to know that you're not alone, that God is with you parenting as well. And so this is a beautiful thing. The last part of that verse says, I will strengthen you, I will comfort you, I will lift you up with my mighty right hand. That's God's promise for you today. So what we'd love to do is I'm gonna, have a prayer of dedication. Before I do, you guys are just sharing. It's been, a, it's been kind of some statistical um, genius working to get all of, a lot of your family here, at least, and friends. So family and friends of Jeremy and Courtney, we'd love to have you guys stand up. I see many of you here. Um, James, I see uncles and grandparents, friends, aunts, all sorts of people. Beautiful community here to support you guys. Um, I wanna have a prayer of dedication, and then we wanna sing our dedication song. James, can I, give, can I hold you? They told, me, they told me before we started, he said he has really good taste, so he, he may not want to be held by you, and that's completely fine. We'll have a special prayer. Oh, thank you for folding your hands. Dear Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you so much for this beautiful gift in James. Lord, we want to dedicate him to you. Father, we dedicate him because we want to be on your team. We wanna know that you're with him, guiding him. And Jeremy and Courtney want to know, Lord, that you're with him even when they are not. And so, Lord, they place their most precious treasure in your hands. And Lord, I ask that as they do that, their hearts can be light and full of peace, knowing, Lord, that you love James, that you knew him while he was being knit together in Courtney's womb, and that you have such beautiful plans for him. So, Lord, I ask that they can go forth from here not as a family of three, but as a family of four, knowing that you're with them, Lord. We thank you and ask that you would continue to bless this beautiful family in your name, amen. Now we have a tradition at our church, guys, as, as you're aware of, for everyone who um, has the opportunity to have a child dedicated here, we have a quilting ministry, and they love to make custom quilts for you guys. And so I'm looking at this and wondering if you like animals, James. Do you like animals? Yeah. All right, let me show you guys this quilt. safari theme. We always like to remind you guys down the road, we're not sure where, where everyone's going to be at in their walk with God, but what we want you to know when you see this, to know that there's a church family that loves you, that loves James. And um, at this time, we'd love to sing our, our song of dedication for you guys. Church family, join us as we sing our song of dedication for this family. May blessings be upon you, precious baby. May favor rest upon your family. 
precious baby again. May blessings be upon you, precious baby. May favor rest upon your family. May your future be Thank you. Can you guys give them a round of applause? Thank you so much. I know that James is going to do well because already his family is, is involved here with the church, and so they're actually going to come up and do music for us now, I think. <laughs> Good morning, church. Man, it is, is good to be with you guys. I am the brother. My name is Justin, and, and I'm excited to be here worshiping with you guys this morning. We are going to lift up his name this morning. So I want to invite you guys to, let's sing together. Let's sing this out. Come thou fountain, every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never cease. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious song, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy help I come, and I hope by thy good pleasure. Safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to Seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Amen, church. Amen. 
My hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Every voice. is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood in righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only trust in Jesus' name. Let's sing it out. Christ alone. Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of With darkness, when darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging.
Happy Sabbath. That was great singing with Justin and Jeremy. They were jamming in the guitars and going up and down. We're having church today.
some announcements or some posters of an event that's happening in about a week and a half. So we just wanted to uh, let you guys know, and uh, it should be on there. Yeah, it's good. Um, so coming up on, uh, what's the date here for our Nedley uh, Depression and Anxiety Recovery Program? Well, we have an introductory session on July 29, I believe. And that's going to be at 6 o'clock here in the um, Fellowship Hall. And uh, we'll go for an hour uh, video. And it talks about all the things that we can do to help um, counteract some anxiety and depression in our lives. So this is a Thursday night, July 29 at 6 p.m. As was said. And that's an introductory, introductory session. So what's going to be coming up after that? Okay. Well, what, we'll show the video. And if um, it's something that you feel like you might be able to use or you might know some people, neighbors or family members that might be interested in it, we will start uh, signing you up. And our first lesson class will be uh, August 12th. And it'll be each um, Thursday night from, uh, from 6 o'clock through um, 8 o'clock until September 29, I believe. It's, a, it's an eight-week program after that. So it'll be eight straight weeks. And so this is for those who may be suffering from depression or anxiety, which I think is something that we all suffer from time to time. Yeah. So this could be helpful for most anyone, correct? Right. Uh, yes, depression and anxiety are the two most underdiagnosed uh, um, so, um emotional feeling problems that we mental health issues that we have uh in america uh, a lot of times we think we're just in the blues or we're in the, you know down or something like that but it, things can be done about it uh to help us feel uh and live life more abundantly and healthy all right so for the uh the introductory session is free but there is a cost for the ongoing eight-week program is that correct yes yeah, so there will be a uh, fee that will cover the materials uh we have uh Volunteers are not getting paid, but the cost would be kept at the lowest we possibly can do it, and it does cover just the materials and and the the program, but not not any salary. No one's making any money off of this. This is a ministry of the church, and don't worry about the cost in the sense that um, um, we we've made arrangements to to help and to uh, keep the cost as low as possible. And if, if this is something you want to do and you, the cost is prohibitive, please come. There's going to be some scholarships available and things like that. And we, we have brochures. We have some big ones. If you want to put them up in an office or, or places you might uh, think would be um, helpful or if you wanted to hand, hand a, a flyer out. You've got some um, at your office. You can lay it out on your desk or whatever yeah. it is. So we uh, hope that uh, we have a big uh, introductory group in order to um, have a great program. So if you have any further questions, please find Ken, and uh, he can give you all the answers that you need. And we do want to point out, this is not a counseling session. Right. It's, this is uh, put on by trained volunteers, that, and we're not doing counseling. We're, we're just, it's an educational, that we, things in our lifestyle, uh, things in, that we could do ourselves without having to go to a, a psychiatrist, a, call, um, a counselor. So... It's not counseling per se. Uh, it's, it's just lifestyle changes that we can make. So we hope that we will see you there. And if you want to pass the word along, that would be greatly appreciated. Before uh, we have Ken sit down, I'd like to just say a prayer for him and for this, uh, this program that's coming up. 
Dear God, we thank you for uh, giving us comfort, giving us uh, the spirit to guide us through challenging times in life. And Lord, I want to pray for Ken as he's leading out in this program and the other uh, facilitators who are training for this. Uh, just give them wisdom. And Lord, as uh, we recognize people around us and people in our midst here who are just in need of, of finding once again the joy of Jesus, help them to be able to do that. Help them to hear about this and uh, to find the courage to come out and uh, just guide us and bless us. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Thank you. It's good to see you here today. If you're a visitor, we're especially glad to have you, but we feel inclined to warn you. You come three times in a row, it's addicting. You become one of us, so look around and see if this is what you want or not. We would love to have you. Father in heaven, your word is holy and we are not. We have such a high regard for you and for your word. And we are praying that by your grace and through your love, you would be the one who teaches us today. We pray you will fill this auditorium with your presence in such a way that we know we are with you. We pray that you will speak to our hearts in such a way we know we're hearing from you. And we pray that you will be so powerful in our midst, miracles will take place, lives will be changed for eternity, and for some, eternal life will begin today. We ask for all this in Jesus' name, amen. When I began in the ministry, it was 40 years ago, 40 years ago in June. And it was quite common back then to move the pastors every three years. And the common talk among the pastors was you unpacked your first year, you ministered your second year, and you started packing again your third year. And uh, Karen and I were assigned in Indianapolis, Indiana at the uh, Glendale Church where I was an intern for six months. And then in January 1982, we began pastoring the Scottsburg District. Not quite a full three years after being assigned there, we were sent to Elkhart, Indiana. And it was there at Elkhart where it is the center for making campers and mini mobile homes and things like that, we looked around and got thinking and decided, you know what, if they're gonna move us every three years, let's take our house with us. And so we bought a mobile home. It was a high class mobile home, five axles, 74 feet long and 14 feet wide, top of the line, it was very comfortable. And sure enough, about three years after being at Elkhart, the conference moved us to Bloomington, Indiana. It just so happened that the Spencer Church was part of the district, and they were in the process of buying land and building a church building. They bought four and a half acres, 
and the building project was starting and one of the sweet ladies in the church said, you know what, the pastor and his family can't find a place for their mobile home. What better thing would it be to place the mobile home on the four and a half acres and then while the building is going on, they can make sure things aren't being stolen and stuff like that. So we said yes, they said yes, the conference said yes, and our mobile home was moved again down to Spencer, Indiana. We lived on the four and a half acres that the church owned. We were surrounded by 450 acres of farmland and across the street, lots and lots of woods. For those of you who know Indiana, we were right near Camp Timber Ridge. It was a wonderful place to live. Our three children were up and at it by that time. And what happened frequently is people would drive by on the highway and they would drop the dogs off that they no longer wanted. I thought that was awful. I mean, out there in the country like that, you just drop a dog off. What I would do is when the dogs came is I would pick them up and drop them off near a school. That's, that's how you do that. Well, one dog, a little black dog that would grow up to be about the size of a black lab, I cannot remember why, but we chose to keep this dog, a little male, we called him Champ. Then he became the family dog. Champ was odd, though. Champ would never do anything you wanted him to do. If he ever did, it was just a coincidence that you wanted him to do something the same time he wanted to do it. He was very stubborn. He wouldn't even come in the house. He wouldn't, he just lived his own life, but he was good to the kids, and the kids were good to him, so it was working out. And uh, one thing about it, because the dog just showed up, if it wasn't that great of a dog, well, I mean, it's not really ours technically. I mean, we're feeding it and giving it water, and that type of stuff, but uh, we could disclaim it at any point. Out there in the country, there were coyotes. There are coyotes in Tennessee as well, but Indiana invented coyotes. Just thousands of them. And they're very clever, they're very adaptive, resourceful animals and they've learned tricks down through the years and one of the tricks that they learned is they would bark like a domestic dog sounds and create an interest in the dogs that were in the farmers yards or out in the country homes yards and then they'd get the dog to come out from the light because the coyotes would not come inside the light. We had a well-lit yard, and the coyotes would not come in, but we could hear them out there in the dark. And one night, Karen and I were sleeping, and I was awakened by the sound of the coyotes. They were barking as if they were domestic dogs. And I knew what they were doing, Karen knew what they were doing, Champ didn't have a clue. Champ was barking back, kind of agitated. 
Um, didn't know if he was wanting to protect us or wanting to go play with them. But basically, in dog language, it could be interpreted something like this. The coyotes were saying, hey, you black dog, come on out. We'll chase rabbits all night. We'll have fun. It's really cool out here. We can fellowship together and enjoy life. Well, Champ was responding. The coyotes kept moving in closer and closer. The darkness, I could just barely see a glint of light in the eyes of the coyotes that were there. Their intentions were evil. They wanted to kill Champ and eat Champ. And so I tried to get Champ to understand that. Champ was stubborn, wanted to do his own thing. He would not come in the house. And even when I told Champ, if you're going to stay outside, at least be quiet. Don't encourage them that you're going to come out there. Champ didn't listen. It kept getting worse. Champ more agitated, getting farther and farther out of the yard, headed towards the coyotes. And that's when I got up, took the shotgun, stepped out the door, and shot. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, we're beginning a section in our studies on the life of Christ called the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in a section known as the Beatitudes. We will not get very far through these Beatitudes, but we will get far along in our understanding of what they are about. We're going to focus on verse 3 of chapter 5, but we will read through verse 11. So let's read. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Nine times the word blessed is used. And so when we begin studying this, we want to identify the meanings of the words. It will help us tremendously looking at things from the uh, viewpoint of how and whom they were written to. The word blessed it, uh, its meaning is very important for us because if we don't understand the word blessed, this can seem like God is mocking us. Is it blessed to be poor, to mourn, to hunger and thirst? Rule number one in reading this section of Scripture 
If you take a portion of the scripture and not the entire sentence, you will entirely miss the point. You have to take the entire sentence. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you leave that out, you have blessed are the poor, blessed are the ones who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And I don't believe, and I don't think you believe either, it's God's will for anybody to live in abject poverty and all its woes. And so why would he say, oh, you're blessed if you're poor? I mean, it'd be nice, maybe, I guess, on some level. It would relieve our guilt for trying to help the downtrodden. Oh, you're poor? You have nothing? Wow, you are really blessed. It would mock them. And surely God is not mocking us in this passage. Some people interpret the Greek word blessed, they interpret it as happy. And you will read some versions of the Bible saying happy. But happy is not quite rich enough, it's not quite deep enough. The very word happy, if is root, its root is hap, which means chance, luck. It's an occurrence. So the interpretation happy is not solid enough. It's jumping around too much. It's associated with chance and luck, and maybe you will be, maybe you won't be. Hope it happens to you. So you will read happy are the poor in spirit, but that's not the real meaning. Blessedness comes closer to it. It's describing a joy that is serene, untouchable, independent of all chance and life circumstances. This is something that comes to us from God, and it comes to those who are knowingly living in God's favor. And it's as if God is saying, you are my blessed one because of how you are living. And the person living in God's favor no matter what the conditions of life are, are able to rejoice in that fact that God is pleased with them. You see, all the Beatitudes are aspects of a person's character. A person that is schooled in humility, matured by suffering, that is demonstrated in gentleness, purity, and love. And the conditions of our blessedness are within ourselves, not what's going on around us. Our happiness or blessedness does not depend on what we have, but on what we are. It does not depend on position, but on dispossession, disposition. Not on the state of our circumstances, but on the state of our soul. We're talking about and studying about character. That's what is being described in the Beatitudes. It is character. Now, when you look at this, you will be overwhelmed. Because it talks about being meek 
merciful, pure in heart, being a peacemaker, being persecuted and liking it or living through it, not being overwhelmed by it, reviled, everything I just mentioned, we cannot do. We simply cannot do those things. We may try to be meek, it makes us proud. We may try to be merciful, we may try to be pure in heart, we may try to be peacemakers, but here's the deal. You can't pick and choose what you're going to try to be. This is a package. This is like the fruits of the Spirit. People filled with the Spirit of God have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You know the list. It's all a package. This is a package. You don't get to pick and choose. I've heard sermons, and so have you. Ah, he's a peacemaker. I make a whole thing about it. It's a package. It's a package of character. And when we look at it, when we sincerely look at it and say, this is what Jesus says it is like to be a member in his kingdom, we look at it, we scream, can't do it. Martin Luther wrote about this section of the Bible, Mosissimus Moses, which means Moses quadrupled. I've kind of made it easier. Mosimus Maximus. And you may be wondering, what's that got to do with anything? Well, think of it. In Jesus' day, the religious people tried to order and structure their lives according to the law of Moses. It was the imperative. Do this, and God will be pleased. Do these things, and you have access to heaven. And when Martin Luther read this, he says, well, this is Jesus' law of the new kingdom, and when you read it, you can't do it. This is Moses times four. This is harder than what the Jews were trying to do. I want to take you on a study today that I hope will explain some things, perhaps put them in context a bit. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Our study on Tuesday night says uh, that group has helped me to understand some things, and I want to thank them. Romans 3, verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, Paul, when he is writing to the church at Rome, he's talking about the law. And there were people there, the Jews, that were very, very careful about the law, and they believed in Jesus, so they added Jesus to the law. And then there were others who didn't understand, but Paul wants to make something clear. No one is made righteous by keeping the law. Now this can be confusing, because the law is righteous. The law is a transcript of God's character. How can it be that someone can know that, understand it, and seek to live it, and still not be considered something positive in God's eyes? 
For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The purpose of the law was then and is now the same, to give us a knowledge of sin. So yes, it is a transcript of God's character. Yes, it does describe what is righteous. But those who come up against the law and seek to keep that law are going to discover how sinful they are. So the purpose of the law is not to create righteousness. The purpose of the law is to disturb us that we can't be righteous and to force us to think we need something better. We need something different. And here's what happens. You go to Galatians chapter 3. And some of you may be thinking, well, what law is he talking about? Is he talking about the law of Moses? Is he talking about the Ten Commandments? Is he talking about the Bible? All of it. It all applies. Same principle anywhere. Galatians 3, verse 24. Paul says, therefore, the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law was to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come... We are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The purpose of the law was to show us what is right and in the process of trying to keep it for us to realize we can't do it. Can't do it. We need something better. And the law was a tutor to lead us to Jesus Christ and there find our justification. So what do we do? with the law. There are Bible verses that say this. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. What do you do with that? Well, here's a beautiful cycle of experience that comes to the saved. They start with the law. They're confronted with what's right. They may be condemned initially, maybe not. They might become religious. Either way, that law's purpose is to show them what sin is in their life. When they realize they need a savior, they will go to Jesus. And they will go to him to be saved and he will be their savior. And so in the context of being saved, Jesus will do this. He will say, now that you're saved in me, now that you have eternal life in me, let's go revisit the law, but we'll walk through it together, and I will help you do the things that are pleasing to me. That's what Jesus says. It's a beautiful cycle. But if we get it out of order, we'll be in continual frustration. That's why Martin Luther would look at the law of the new kingdom and say, that's harder than doing the law of Moses. So when we look at Matthew chapter 5, and let's go back there, know and understand, as beautiful as all this is, without Jesus, we're not doing any of it. Can't. So with the law is the knowledge of sin and our need of our Savior. 
Now we come to chapter 5, verse 3 of Matthew, and let's break the verse apart. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Joy that is serene, untouchable, that comes from God is for those who are poor in spirit. What does that mean? Poor can have several applications in the Greek. In this particular sense, it is talking about absolute and abject poverty. Rock bottom. Got nothing to give, nothing to offer. Nothing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed is the person who knows they are impoverished in the soul. I got nothing there. Nothing I can bring. It is awful. And I have nothing to offer Jesus in my soul except this absolute poverty. Now, Jesus gives us some information about the kingdom of heaven in verse 17 of the previous chapter. It says, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Entrance into this kingdom of heaven comes through the door of repentance. And so what we discover is that blessed are the poor in spirit is the opening of the door into the kingdom of heaven. An awful sinner with no hope within himself, a person who will now depend 100% on the mercy of God for forgiveness and salvation. That person is blessed, and that person has the kingdom of heaven. That's where it begins. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's what's being described here. The prayer would be something like this. Father in heaven, I acknowledge I'm impoverished in my spirit. My soul is a dark place. I have nothing to offer you, but I thank you that you offer me salvation through Jesus. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It says, is the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven, simply put, is the reign, the realm of God, which means if he is in our heart, then our heart is where he reigns, and it is his realm. And it is spoken in the present tense. It is now. It is not waiting. The kingdom is now in the heart. Joy that is serene, untouchable, independent of all chance and life circumstances, floods the heart when we humble ourselves before God 
and honestly admit who we are and what our need is, and Jesus marches in triumphantly in a grand, noble, holy, saving way. And that gives us the blessedness in our hearts. Does that make sense? Champ was all about what he could do for himself. He wouldn't do what we told him to do unless he just wanted to do that at the same time we told him to do it. Champ thought he could deal with the coyotes on his own. He would take no counsel from anyone. What Champ didn't count on is a gunshot. Now, when I stepped out onto the porch and I put the shotgun to my shoulder, I was suddenly blinded by our outside light, which was right there. I was looking right into it. So I shot towards the coyotes. I'm pretty confident I didn't hit one for those children who watch Disney too much. <clears throat> but the shock of the sound of the shotgun got Champ's attention. I couldn't see anything because the light was blinding me. But I felt, and what it was, was Champ was running full speed. He ran up the steps, through my legs, and into the house. It's as if he was saying, you didn't tell me it was that serious. <laughs> it got his attention. He ran for help. In that illustration, I see us. I see this as being a wake-up call for some of you. I see this not as being a wake-up call, but an invitation for others of you. But here we are, and we're confronted with the reality that we cannot do this on our own. We cannot do this fight on our own, regardless of who we think we are. And the sound of what the Word is telling us causes us to turn and run not into the safety of a house but to the feet of a savior and he will accept our confession he will take our sins wash them cast them away and he will fill us with his spirit as he promised and he will let us know what the blessedness of salvation is like. Are there any here today who would like to say to God, I want that, I need that, I am impoverished in my spirit, I've got nothing, 
nothing to offer you, Lord, but I want Jesus as my Savior. If you want to say that to the Lord, I invite you to stand. Father in heaven, how we rejoice, how we rejoice in the salvation you offer to us through Jesus Christ. We invite him into our hearts. We thank you for the reality we can do nothing, but he can do everything. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit and let us know the blessedness of the redeemed and what it's like to experience the kingdom of heaven in our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please remain standing as we have our closing song.
Jesus will soon return. May we all be found ready to meet him in peace when he appears. Father in heaven, I pray for these dear, dear people. I pray you will continue watching over them and their families. I pray your presence in their lives would be so real that their faith in you would be strong. I'm asking, Lord, that you would hear their prayers and answer those prayers according to your will. We are all praying that you will save our children, our family members, our loved ones, and our friends. We thank you, and we pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you have a wonderful day. I hope you have a wonderful week. God bless, and go in peace.